always aggravated. A Mike Valenti signature podcast. This week's episode of Always Aggravated, we got a good one. Roberto almost had an accident in his car, and not the kind you're thinking. We talked to Chris Sims of NBC Sports and Bleacher Report, do the power rank, NFL, and maybe the best team to watch on TV, one you don't expect. And then a deep dive into the bizarre situation involving Markel Fultz, and really, what the hell do you do with him? Let's get into it. We've got a lot of good stuff to cover this week, but I I, I have to start with something special. That's uh, so important. It is very important. <laughs> because you experience something that everyone who is listening to this podcast currently has experienced. There's no human that hasn't. It's you almost shit your pants in your car. And, anyone your say, way and for anyone to say that that hasn't happened to them is lying. Correct. I, it is my You're belief. no better than me out there. No. It is my belief everyone has had a near catastrophe, digestively speaking, operating or riding in an automobile. And believe me, I don't treat this lightly, and I don't treat this as some game where I just leave my house in the morning, fill up on coffee and danishes right. and whatever the hell. Like, like Airplane Guy I from episode right. two. I time everything to the second so that to avoid these kind of issues. You're regimented pooper. So let's say I'm, I'm, it takes me 45 minutes to get here, maybe 40 minutes. I will, I'll, I'll grab a coffee like five minutes from my house. I will not drink that coffee f- maybe to like 25, 35 minutes into the car ride. Is there scientific proof? Because I feel like even smelling coffee in the morning <laughs> makes me have to go. Much less if you indulge in the coffee. I mean, it's the worst feeling in the world. There is nothing worse. Do we all agree, though? That That it is a fair assumption everyone on planet Earth who operates a motor vehicle. Like, I'm not talking about if you're living with a horse and buggy. If you, Well, actually, if you've operated a horse and buggy, you've probably almost shit your pants. (laughs) And you can't get where you got to go. Well, back then it didn't matter. Right. (laughs) So here's the deal. You came in and you were just... In a panic. Well, Sully saw me after the, you know, I'd taken care of business, and and I, I probably, I looked so fatigued. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, I just got done at the gym or something. <laughs> like red faced and sweating. So last week was about full epoch. Body temperature was up four degrees. Last week was about shitting on an airplane. Now it's about shitting in a car. I'm, <laughs> no. se- I'm sensing a theme yeah, with this I, podcast. Yeah, here. don't worry. We're not going to do this every time. No, it's, it's right, more it's just, Mike, what, what Roberto was saying, we have all... I want to hear this. Take okay, me so through the, the fateful morning. I'm on uh, 696. And, a, major, uh, a major thorough way right. in Metro Detroit. And with all this construction and everything, it just makes it... Believe me, it's it, the fact that I even got here... What time did you leave your house? ...was a miracle. Time did you leave your house? Oh, I don't know. It was probably 10 o'clock. Okay. Something. Now, what time did you start to have a hint of, hey, right. so I'm may about have halfway. to go to bath? I'm about halfway to the station. What's the total time frame of your commute? Like 40 minutes. So 20 minutes in. Yes. Dead center. Yes. The stomach starts percolating you know a little bit? You know that feeling. Okay. Now... You didn't think it was going to be an issue, though. You thought... Oh, no, I thought it was an issue. It, uh, so this this was coming on hot and heavy. Yeah, so I you know, immediately start speeding. Um, How do you speed weave. in the construction zone? Well, no, I was, I was clear of that at this point. So I just had to get here. I, I, I had a clear path. I just had to get here. So this was all about could you hold your bowels for 20 more minutes. Right. 
So why not just pull over? Pull over into a fast uh, what, food. On the expressway? No, pull over, pull over into a fast food place or somewhere where you but, know but you could use a public where, restroom. Though? But no. I can't guarantee that that I don't I know where a place is at. I couldn't think, you know, you're not in your right frame of mind when this is going let on. Let me let me also say <laughs> this, and I think this is an important thing to factor in, and I sympathize with Roberto. There is a fear of dutying in public. It, the, the, bathrooms, the bathrooms are not sanitary. It, you don't know if you're going to be able to use one. No, but I understand what he's saying. It but is the last to, resort, you and you to. have to, you have to. If you're that have. bad, just pull over into a fast food place where you know there's a but public the restroom. For might Roberto be disgusting, is, but do it. The problem is if Roberto pulls over and then is denied access the, or is forced to the, buy there's something. There's no plan B at There's point. no plan B because you will have wasted five to seven minutes. Right. And his 20-minute counter. If, if I would have gotten one light. No, it wouldn't have. So take <laughs> I so, it every second. So twenty minutes to go. You you go. You realize problem. So twenty minutes to go though. At what point do you start getting the body temperature rising right. from trying to prepare yourself to hold off? Probably ten more minutes. I, I, I held good for ten minutes. I still had another five minutes to get here or something like that. Now was your then stomach what you have bubbling? To do? Oh yeah. So okay, you had the bubble guts. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's bad. Then what you have to do is you have to recline the seat as much as you can and still see the road. No, I disagree. <laughs> I recline just to calm, ease myself and calm down, so I'm, I'm totally reclined. Is there anything you're doing temperature-wise? I know some people say you turn the AC on, it'll cool you down, you can hold off for a few more minutes. Yeah, you roll down the window. You know what, or, happens? You know. You know what happens when I've tried that before? <laughs> Makes it worse. Yeah. Like the cold air hits you, and it just gonna help you. It makes you want to explode. Satan at his work. You can't beat him. There is no meditation. No. Like I. So all right. So you you begin to have like uh, the sweats. Oh yeah. Five minutes away, and if people listen, you're heading here. There's a ton of lights. Plus, you got the Michigan turnaround for people who are listening. Oh, that's the worst part. You're talking about a sharp U-turn. That is the worst part of that procedure. Well, because then then it's gravity taking over and it's sending all the shit from one side of your intestine (laughs) to the other, (laughs) then back to the other. (laughs) So now you're five minutes away. Right. Your body temperature. Trying to blow every light that I can. Your body temperature has risen though. Yeah, I'm, you're I'm, getting I'm, the sweats. I'm, 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 I'm writhing in pain. Now, at what point did you start to do the shimmy? You know the shimmy. Yeah, I was dancing. Well, you're attempting to somehow, uh, people, if you're out there, I'm sure you agree. You somehow <laughs> believe that if you start doing your best Richard Simmons and dancing to the yeah, oldies. your legs. Right, like stretching your calves is somehow going to help I'm you like, not poop, on, poop in your car. Come on, come on. <laughs> Now, here's here's my question. You're under five minutes. You're you're close. Do you? And I'm find... pretty confident still. I, I you know we're not you know we're so you weren't in panic yet. I was in panic that I I knew if 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 I could just get through the door, no one talks to me. I go right in. If I can make it right from the front door, right into that men's room. I have a good shot. But you know what happens when you actually arrive within sight of relief of a toilet? Somehow mentally, 
your body takes it as, oh, oh. you're here. Okay, <laughs> no problem. And you're like, no, 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 I'm not out of the car yet. No, 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 I got to scan in. No, no, wait, I still have 78 steps to the door yeah, so and I'm, another 16 to the toilet. I'm doing that like duck walk through the front door here. But why does your body do that where you're like, wait, you've given me 18 minutes. I'm asking you for 45 more seconds, and your body's like, no, Listen, no, no, we're here. I, I'm only I'm only willing to tell this story in which I did make it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save the other ones for later. You want me to share one where I didn't? Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you. You got the balls to do it, too. Yeah. Well, because it didn't happen in my car. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I may not be welcome back in Canada. Oh. <laughs> I was driving home for Christmas probably 15, 16, 17 years ago. I was driving home for Christmas by myself, road trip. <laughs> and you get to a stretch of Canada from driving from Metro Detroit. You know, you got to hit Buffalo, and there's just an abyss of nothing. And there, there's one massive rest stop. It's, it's, it's in Woodstock, Ontario, right? So if you're not near there, when you see a sign that says food or gas or whatever, you better. it's not like the United States. Right. That doesn't mean you take a right and you see the glowing nuclear colors of name a fast food chain. No, no, no. It means you got to get off the road and drive another five, six, seven miles. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, I knew I wasn't going to make it to that rest stop. <laughs> So I did what deer hunters do or campers oh. do. I pulled over, turned the emergencies on, and I ran deep into the woods. Now, I, I, again, could I have been eaten by a bear? I don't know. I don't even know what the hell is in southern Ontario. I never plan on staying. You're willing to risk that. But my point was, look, I didn't have an out, okay? I had no outs. At a certain point, a man, a woman, you got to – it's survivalism. I, I knew – one outcome was not happening. I was not shitting in my car. I still had, you know, five, six hundred miles to drive. Yeah, that's not an option. Plus, what do you do? Pull into a detail shop somewhere and go, hey, no big deal. <laughs> Just shit my pants in my car. You want to take care of that for me? That doesn't happen. So... I just I made a pact with myself. I have to pull over before this gets dark. And you had you had materials with you to not enough. Oh, <laughs> I'm just being serious. Would I, you use your socks? No, 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 no. I, it, it was listen you flannel. On. Listen leaves. <laughs> well, Your caveman approach. I'll I'll leave it this way. It's uh, winter. There leaves uh, were not a, a bountiful. Did, what I did, did you was snow. I, I did the best I could with the couple materials I had, which were probably napkins that had been in there for two years. Uh, Roberto, look, I, I don't know. I assume a lot of other people have, have been put to this choice. Now, you're never going to have to do it in the woods unless you're on a road trip. But that's where, in some ways, being in a remote part of uh, the world, yeah. which southern Ontario is, you're afforded the ability to pull over. Go into the woods, out of sight. You don't want to scare anybody. And hope you don't get eaten by a mountain lion. You're not alone. I wanted you to know, brother. You're not alone well, in this. I appreciate that. Thank you. Now, you pull up. I want to bring this right. full circle. You pull up to the office. You're telling me your mind didn't speed up the process? No. So the first thing you have to do, you can't just, just run out of the car. You have to prepare yourself. Okay, I'm going to stand up now. Gravity's I'm going to a get bitch. out of the car. Right. I'm going to stand up. 
Then we'll assess the next step. You stand up. You just you just do that as fast as walk as you can, but you got to be still got to be careful. A little shuffle. Yeah, I'm looking for my key card. I got to get in the door. Did anyone attempt to talk to you? No, thank God. But if anyone would have, they they would have got pushed to the side of the wall. <laughs> I would have been like a. I would have been like so a uh, running do, back. Do you believe? <laughs> do you believe if you were in in the car for an additional five minutes? No, then I I would have to do what Sully said. Did you make it here in time to set things up the way it needed to be? Uh, not how I usually oh, like to no. set things up. You I, didn't make a to... toilet paper palace. Oh no, there was oh. no time for that. Oh, no. Oh no. So I'm literally oh, as no. I'm walking down the hallway, I'm undoing the bell. <gasps> <laughs> Wait a minute, time out, time out. I'm you're, not even in the door yet. You're to the disrobing in the office? <laughs> oh my god, there so, has to be footage. And then it ends with the scene from like Dumb and Dumber, okay. where I just that oh. I just barely, you know, one more millisecond. And you know why? Because your brain's playing games. Yeah. Your brain does it. The biggest situation I had was that almost 20 years ago. It was probably around 2000, 2001 now that I think about it. But like Roberto's was a couple of years ago. I mean, Sully, yeah, I had, you're out all the time. You're never home. Your toilet yeah. probably has never been used. Right. Yeah. I had one. How uh, many times have you gone at Fifth Avenue? <laughs> Not never number two there. Yeah. Stop. Stop. I had, I had one two summers ago that was so bad. It, it was the morning... I was going to golf, and I, oh, I, was, I was golfing, and I think it was South Lion. My like, worst nightmare is to be on a golf course, and you get that. No, I was I was running late, and I was going to golf. Oh. So I already had you know my all my golf stuff on, whatever, and I couldn't make it to the course. I had to pull over to a fast food place and go. <laughs> I could not make it to the course, and I was already running late. Time out. It's never happened while you're on the course. Has that ever happened to you? What What do you do in that not situation? Number two. No, no, you what have. Do, to, what do you do? Do you go into the woods? No. What choice do you have? Usually, there's like a portage on. Well, everyone right? goes obviously number one in the woods when you when no, you that's what golf. I mean. But that's, number that's... two, I've never seen a number two in the woods when you golf. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. No, Mike, time out. No one, you if you're gonna do the the routine of going to the woods, you gotta be out of sight. I mean, you gotta go deep. Into the woods. I'm not yeah. talking about ten feet. Yeah, but a you golf have course. To. You can't. I mean, I guess you could try. I'm sure I have it at the turn before. Ran into the clubhouse or something. Right. But. Here's another one. So that I'm I'm at my um my son's football game a couple weeks back at uh, the the they're playing the game at the high school that I graduated from. So the first time I'd been back there in years and years. Right. So the game's just about over, and there's that feeling again. <laughs> So, oh God! Mm. I'm like, all right, let me go into the school here, and maybe we can do a nice chance to look around, see the old uh, high school, and reminisce. And sure enough, just like when I was in high school, I go into the men's room. I could not believe it. Still, after twenty some years, no doors on the stuff. <gasps> to this day, you couldn't do it. I had to. No. Oh. No. <laughs> I had no choice. You, wait, you, no. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> How? There was no turning back. There, there was Ed. Oh my! <laughs> oh my God! And yeah, your fear is that somebody's going to come through there. The fear is just so. Uh, oh, it has to run rampant. <laughs> I'm getting agitated just thinking about it. It has to run rampant. Oh God! Oh, life. Roberto, I want to thank you for your bravery. I want to thank you for sharing your story, and yeah, I want I wanted you me. to know. 
I wanted you to know. You're not alone. This has happened to everyone. That's what I said. And if it has, if you're saying that it hasn't happened to you, you are a liar. All right, a quick break just to talk about our launch sponsor. It's the D Las Vegas. You're looking to get away, relax, have a good time. D Las Vegas has everything you need. I mean, hell, we're there every March for March Madness. And as I've said before, there ain't no better setup. On the strip, off the strip, it don't matter. Go to the D, go to that chalet upstairs, and ain't nothing better. Bottom line, next time you go to Vegas, check out the D.com. Completely renovated. Downtown is not what you remember. Hell of a lot of new places. It's, it's a damn good time. There's really no other way to put it. And again, the D has everything you need. You're not going to spend a ton of money on the room. Take that money and go do fun things with it. Do what Sully does. Make a bunch of losing basketball bets. Or, well, or for Sully, fall asleep on the horse racing machine on the second floor vintage casino. The bottom line, the D's got it all. They got the sports book. They got the long bar. They got it all. Check it out. The D.com to book your stay today. It's the D.com, the D Las Vegas. And as you know, it is your home for Detroit sports in Vegas. Uh, our next guest is, uh, he can be seen everywhere. Notre Dame broadcast, Sunday Night Football, NBC Sports, Bleacher Report. He is Chris Sims. Chris, what's going on, brother? What's up, big guy? I mean, you're saying that like you're, you're kind of sick of seeing me? Is that what you're trying to say? No, I just, uh, it's 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 everywhere. I mean, it's I I'm happy for you. I'm glad things are going well. And it's, look, it's expansion. I just want to know what's next. Thanks. I, I don't know what's next. I'm sick of seeing myself. I'm not even going to lie, so... Well, look, uh, we got it's a good thing to have. Good we, problem. we got a lot of stuff and it's it's on the NFL side. And for people that don't know, I guess the background I would give is you got to check out Chris on Bleacher Report, picking games, real insight. Chris, are you still doing the podcast that goes game by game? Forgive yes. me. Yes, we do. It's all, all good. We do three podcasts a week, right? We have the reaction to the Sunday games. I do a Wednesday notebook edition that comes out Thursday morning where I've watched a ton of film. I write notes down, and we go through some, some deep dive stuff. And then the Friday podcast is the one you're talking about where we pick games and we kind of wager our fake Bleacher Report money. I'm not a great gambler, but my insight is usually pretty good, and hopefully it can help somebody out. No, it's great, honestly, and I don't want to make your ego too big to start. But for people looking for more hardcore NFL stuff, add Chris and Bleacher Report to your uh, download list. Thanks, man. Let, let's get into the NFL because, I, I don't, Chris, I don't know what world I'm living in where the Browns talk shit and back it up. Uh, they got a quarterback that's must-see TV. I, I what, what world am I in? Yeah, I, I listen. It's refreshing. It, it's you know what it is is you got a, a Browns team that has a quarterback that the organization believes in, and a quarterback who has the you know the attitude and just the mental toughness to say screw all this Cleveland you know bad play crap and talk. I'm here to change that narrative, and I think it's really cool. I mean, he is. Got a ton of moxie, as you know. He's super talented. He's been better as a rookie, Baker Mayfield, than I even thought he would be. Uh, I really did. He's, he's, he's outdone my expectations. But I think the big thing was, too, that I look at Mike more than anything. When they switched over from Hugh Jackson uh, and went to Greg Williams and gave the offensive coordinator job to Freddie Kitchens, yep. 
you know, they're playing through their strengths more. That's what I look at. You look at a Cleveland Browns offensive line, it's pretty good with guys like Bentonio and J.C. Treader and Zeitler, who are very good interior O-linemen. Tackle play not bad. You've seen Nick Chubb, and they've got, they've played through those strengths, and then they just ask Baker, hey, play action pass, you know, throw a rifle 20-yard out route in, or a big-time deep cross, and uh, it's refreshing football to watch, and I think it's the better approach for the Cleveland Browns. You know, it's it's also too, and I, maybe I have the stupid fan approach to it, but I think when you draft a QB high in the draft, it's more than just stats, and it's a problem we've had here in Detroit. Is that yeah. look, Stafford has stats, right? But like Baker, I feel like maybe I'm a little too ambitious here. I feel like he's already starting to change the culture in Cleveland, and that is your job as the quarterback. You must change the culture. The numbers end up being secondary to whether you come in and affect everything. Is that a little bit too ambitious, or do you see the same thing? No, I, I don't I don't think you're far off there. I would, always, I would say this, just to go against you a little, the coach has to be the first guy to change the culture. And if you listen to what the Cleveland Browns have kind of been saying over the last week, it sounds like Greg Williams has changed the culture. It's more no-nonsense. It's like, this is what we do, deal with it, be ready to go. And then it goes to the quarterback right after that. You're right. I mean, hey, uh, it's why there is the term the franchise quarterback, because you can build the team around that position, and that guy can be the leader in the locker room and gives the team belief and all that. Stats are overrated. I mean, hey, Alex Smith was the number one rated quarterback in football last year. I mean, are you going to sit here and tell me he was the best quarterback in football? No freaking way, right? So, uh, you know, yeah, stats, I look at them, certainly, but it's what was there to be had. Did you take advantage of it? When nobody was open, what did you do? Baker Mayfield's passing all those type of tests. You know, they're, yeah, they're, you know, and we always forget, too, I know I'm rambling here, but, like, we forget that the New England Patriots and Tom Brady started off this dynasty with, Brady being 18 for 22 for 210 yards and one touchdown, and they ran the ball for 150 yards. So there's more ways to uh, skin the cat than just throwing the ball around and getting yards. Plus, I, I loved it after the game, and it's an attitudinal thing as well. And it's like uh, he's giving Hugh Jackson the old hi hat. You know, Hugh goes in for the hug, and he goes, "Now, nah, how about a handshake?" And he, yeah. and he said it. He goes, "Look, guy went to a divisional team three weeks later. Like, I think that edge, it's just yes. it fits." It does. I'm with you. I like it, too. You know, I, I, again, I hear people getting on Baker Mayfield going, well, he doesn't understand the business. No, he understands the business. It doesn't mean he has to like Hugh Jackson. And I, if my head coach left or got fired, which, you know, again, you know, I know he gets fired, but if he left, let's say John Gruden got fired in the middle of the season one year when I was in Tampa and then went to the Carolina Panthers, yeah, I'd be kind of pissed off at that. Damn, you're going to go to a team we play twice a year, you know, and three weeks ago you were telling us to buy into this team and do that. So, uh, you know, as a professional athlete, sometimes you can't win. You know, all NFL players, they don't care enough. And then when they do care too much, we go, whoa, he, he doesn't understand the business. He needs to back off. And uh, that's what I think drives me a little crazy about that combo sometimes. What voodoo does Hugh Jackson have that I see a report that Hugh might be in the running to replace Marvin Lewis at the end of this year? How is he employed? in any capacity doing football things I, I, I mean the head I, listen he's allowed to be an assistant coach he's earned the right for that but I mean I, I don't know what else to say about a conversation about him being a head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals um, if the Bengals go that route I don't know what to say I can't defend them uh, I mean, isn't the last few weeks and just the quality of play that we've seen from the Cleveland Browns since Hugh Jackson left, isn't that enough, let alone the fact that he only won, you know, three games in, two, in three years or whatever it was? 
So I'm with you. That's crazy, and I just don't think that ever happens. Jacksonville. Yeah. Uh, windows closed for a Super Bowl. Go ahead. Ar- ar- argue me on this because I just think they're toast. I think they're they're screwed. They went with well, Bortles. They're, they're, they're dead in the water. Well, they've certainly made their bed with Blake Bortles. I mean, you know my take on that. It, it got a little famous last year from when I said he was the 70th best quarterback in football. And, you know, I think people are starting to see what I meant by that. I mean, you know, I can't believe they fired the offensive coordinator one, you know, and I hear people say, oh, well, the offense is predictable. The offense is predictable because Blake Bortles can only throw like three or four routes. So you have to orchestrate an offense around it. How many offensive coordinators are going to be fired before somebody in Jacksonville is actually accountable for the fact that they've screwed up with Blake Bortles? I'm not going to say the Super Bowl window is closed, but they certainly have wasted it. I know, I'm with you there, Mike. I mean, you know, Again, the style of play in which they try to play defense, run the ball, okay, yeah, that's great, but when you can't run the ball, you need a quarterback to kind of get you over the hump there. Uh, But they still have a lot of young talent, I guess, on the team. That's why I would say it's not closed, but they're in a tough spot next year. What do they do at quarterback? Well, that's what I mean. Like, what are you doing? Are you doing, first of all, if they cut him, isn't his dead cap $16.5 million? Exactly right. It is. It's somewhere in that ballpark. So I just have a hard time thinking they're going to swallow that and go, yeah, we're going to cut him and just, you know, let that count, like you said, against $16.5 million against our uh, salary cap. At the very least, they got to bring somebody in, whether that's a Joe Flacco or a Ryan Tannehill. I know. But they're better options than Blake Bortles, I can tell you that. That is still one of the best bits. When you were on with Lebetard calling in daily and doing your top 70, and you're naming like dead guys that are better <laughs> than Bortles. Well, my, my point about the Blake Bortles thing, I got sick of Jacksonville, truly one of my favorite teams to watch on film because of all the studs they got on defense. You know, their offensive line mashes you. Fournette is special. And I got sick of people last year going, what's the deal with Jacksonville? Why are they so inconsistent? And I wanted to be like, you know, I mean, are you guys not watching the game I'm watching? The quarterback can only throw screen passes and shallow crosses four feet in front of his face. Other than that, it's like it's a flip of the coin whether anything else gets uh, completed. And my real big point was just that if anybody was afforded the luxury of Blake Bortles and all the struggles he had those first or you know four years of his career and got put on that Jacksonville team, I mean, you, you could have you know gone to quarterback 75 or 80 down the list. And I still think that Jacksonville team from last year would have been highly competitive and in the playoffs and been a handful whoever they, for whoever they played against. Um, all right, here's another bold take I want to run down the list with you. I okay. think I think Pat Shermer's in way over his head, and I think he's a disaster as a Giants head coach. Um, okay, I'm not going to go that far. I don't think he's in way over his head. I do think he's a good player. I think he's in a very tough position. He really is. And the Eli situation is really it's compromising the Giants and their future. And, and, you know, people hear me say that, and they're always like, oh, well, he's just saying that because he's jealous of Eli Manning. Oh, whatever. I don't give a damn. If my dad was the quarterback of the Giants and playing like crap, I'd tell you he's playing like crap. I don't, you know, Eli Manning's the greatest Giant quarterback of all time. Oh, that's blasphemous. How well, dare you? Hey, listen, he won two Super Bowls. I'll give him that title. Either way, he's been awesome. But he is kind of holding the organization hostage right now. But see, I mean, here's my thing. If you're yeah. Shermer, why take the job? Well, you know what you're getting into. Why yeah. take the job and abide nonsense from Dave Gettleman? Why? Well, because there's only 32 of them out there, and you don't know when you can get that chance again. You know, that, I think that's what it comes down to. It's not like, you know, he's a Super Bowl-winning coach who has – 
you know, people and organizations offering them on a yearly basis to come in there. It is the New York Giants. It's a special franchise. And, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I think there's only so few of these jobs out there that you've you got to take them when they're, when they're there to be had. He fits, you know, the old-school, no-nonsense mantra of what the Giants like at, at, at head coach, but he's got some personalities to deal with. And the Eli Manning situation is hard here in New York. The New York fan base does not want to hear that Eli is not good anymore. There's still a fan base that goes, well, if you give them the best O-line in football and the best receivers and the best running backs – you can still win. Well, yeah, okay, great. I mean, He's if you, cooked. If that's the case. You can He's win with a lot totally of totally cooked. No, I, well, you can, here's the other thing. I, I, How many public run-ins does it take to tell that Shermer hates Odell? I, I just I, I can't see these two coexisting. I can't. It, it does seem uh, a little, yeah, it, it is a little odd. I mean, just with the comments that Odell Beckham Jr. makes after the game against the Eagles on Sunday, you know, he just not called for Odell. I'm a big Odell fan as a player, but he does have to watch the way he handles himself and talks about other high-ranking officials within the Giants organization. Uh, because, yeah, if he doesn't, you know, be careful here, the Giants, as old school as the Mara family is and stuff like that, if they feel like he's going to continually speak out of turn and say these type of things, they will find a trade partner and get him out of town. Um. It's a scary thought because I'm kind of starting to believe in Bill O'Brien, which yeah. I've just kind of considered him a dead man walking for a couple of years. But the Texans, are they for real or is this just a total mirage feel-good story? No, no, they're for real. They really are. And, and they really, they've been, they've been pretty real through the Bill O'Brien era. You know, the big issue for him in this, this time frame has just been getting a quarterback and we finally seen that when they have a quarterback, they can be pretty successful. You know, I mean, having to deal with the T.J. Yates and the Brock Osweilers of the world and have to make do with that, uh, Tom Savage and all that, that was really what's hurting the team. But I think the big thing, Mike, with them is their front seven on defense is as talented as any front seven in football with Merciless, Clowney, Watt. You know, the linebacker plays good. Honey Badger is really good in the secondary. Uh, and then their offensive line, even though it was spotty early on, they have – Found the right five guys. They play power football, and Deshaun Watson, uh, when healthy, and like we're seeing in the last few weeks, is, is one of the best quarterbacks in the game. All right, th- this is where I know I'm getting real caught up in my emotions with this, but I'm to yeah. a point with like two minutes to go. Watson's one of the four or five quarterbacks I want with the ball. Oh, okay. I don't think you're totally crazy. There, I love him. Yeah, I mean, he, he is as calm and as cool as it gets. I mean, we witnessed that in the last drive against the Alabama Crimson Tide in that national championship game. Yeah, I mean, okay. So you're going to say, you know, of course, Brady, Rodgers, probably Drew Brees, mm-hmm. those three. I'd say you could add Russell Wilson in there if you want. Right, Russell but is four. Like, right? Watson is right there. I Like, I'm not putting Cam Newton there. I've seen, I, and I love Philip Rivers, but we got to yeah. be honest, a lot of late turnovers. I, I just, Watson's got it. Like, he's a dude. He yeah. just, he does it. He did it collegiately. He does it here. I, I love the kid, man. And if they can actually keep him upright, they've got the guy if they don't get him killed. Oh, no question. He's, he's special. He's, you know, you know, him, Patrick Mahomes, they have Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre-type talent where – you know, it just doesn't matter who's around them at certain times. They're so physically gifted. 
they can make a crap offense work with crap talent around them because they are good athletes. They got quick releases. They can throw it from any angle they want. And if they have to escape the pocket, they can do it. Yeah, I mean, he's got a chance to be one of the best quarterbacks in football, if not, if he just stays healthy, like you said. All right, I, I'm going to ask this. You can go whatever way you want with it. I, I, I have been anti-Patriots all year. I okay. just I cannot put them in the Super Bowl. Brady looks cooked. Gronk looks like you or me getting out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Do the Pats even make it to the AFC title game? There's more of a question about that this year maybe than ever before, but if you made me bet money, I'm saying yes, yes. I, I am saying they end up in the AFC championship game. I think this is dinner next time I'm in New York. Okay, you want to make this the bet? I do. Dinner? Yeah, I do. I, I'm sticking with this, man. I can't. I watch this Patriot team, Chris, and I know it's illegal to pick against them. <laughs> I hate them. Yeah, I hate I, them. I hear you. I hear you. No, no, you know, I think your first point about, you know, Brady being cooked, I'm not going to go that far, but there's certainly some, you know, cracks in the seam. Per You're se. seeing it. You're seeing it. Yeah, he's not ageless anymore. No, it's not. He's he's definitely a little more conscious of who's around him in the pocket. I actually just watched the Jets film, and I wrote a number of times that Brady settled for easy short throws because he just didn't want to stand in the pocket and wait for people downfield who were going to be wide open. Those are things I look at when the quarterback gets old. Like that's what's happening with Eli Manning. Eli refuses to stand in there and take a hit to throw to anybody open down the field. Um, and Gronkowski is certainly not as dominant as he was, but he's still really awesome. I think this is the difference between them and uh, this year and years past, though, Mike, and this is why I still think they're dangerous. This last week, we saw their offensive line completely healthy for the first time in a while. Shaq Mason was back in. He's one of the best guards in the NFL. Trent Brown was totally 100% healthy at left tackle. Gronkowski back being healthy 100%. Sony Michelle back to being close to 100%. Gronkowski is one of the best, if not the best, run-blocking tight end in football. He's certainly in the, in, in the history of the game. He's probably the greatest tight end in the history of the sport. But they want to run smash-mouth power football. And what you saw them do against the Jets, they ran the ball down their throat all game long, and then it's a creative play-action pass, and I think their defense is pretty good. And with these high-flying you know, high offenses, they're going to be a handful. And the spread-out passing football league that we're in right now, you know, teams aren't as good as handling pulling guards and smash-mouth football that way because they're not used to it as much. And it's typical New England. When everybody's zigging, they're zagging. And that's why they are New England and have the longest dynasty we've ever seen. Yeah, you mentioned it. And I talked about this uh, on the show. God, after the Chiefs-Rams game, everybody talked about it. But I mean, is there a single reason right now, if you're a franchise, to, to hire a defensive head coach? I mean, right. does don't you just have to hire offensive minds right now? Like that's it, where the league is. It seems that way. Yes. I mean, if you're going to hire a defensive mind, you got to feel good that that defensive mind is going to bring in a creative offensive coordinator, like let's say Mike Vrabel, and bringing in Matt Lafleur, who's from the McVay Shanahan school there. Like, that's the only way I see it. But you're right. I mean, with the way the NFL is set up right now, the rules all being for the offense, uh, it is going to be hard for some of these defensive coaches or special teams coaches to get the head coaching job because of the perception, the media, the owners want a quarterback whisperer to be the head coach. Uh, And, and, you know, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's going to be very hard. I will say this, though. Like, 
everybody thinks the league's going to Kansas City and the Rams, and it's just going to be this throw fest. You know, people have got to realize that, first of all, the Rams are one of the best running teams in all of football. Mm-hmm. So don't be fooled by just what we saw a few weeks ago against the Kansas City Chiefs. Teams like the Saints, they still run the ball. The Patriots, we just talked about them. So there's these teams that are throwing the ball around the field, but you watched the Houston Texans last night against the Tennessee Titans. It was mm-hmm. downhill running. Uh, so there's still some teams there that are going, we believe in being physical, we're going to run the ball between the tackles, and then we're going to get huge chunk plays off our play-action pass game off that. Well, it's, it's, it's funny, too, because like, you look at all the offense, and it puts us in this weird defensive space where like you still need quality defensive players because you're gonna need to make a play or two like that's the new defense you can't force three and outs yes but it it is there's no more it's no more going to be like 85 bears this team just shuts down offenses it's more about yes do you can your defensive coach draw up one or two schemes throughout the game, and can you get one or two players to just make that key play in a key moment on a third down or a strip sack fumble or whatever? Uh, I mean, I think you're spot on with that thought. I, I got to do this for our Detroit people, and it's, yeah. it's I, 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 you're a former quarterback, and I, I need your opinion. I right. know I'm too emotional. I, I'm just done with Matthew Stafford. I, I can't take watching him. I can't take listening to him. I want your what, – what is he? Help me. Okay. All right. So first of all, I mean, I think he's been saving everybody up in Detroit for his whole career, really. Okay. I mean, I think he's a far better player than he's gotten credit for oh, uh, throughout his career. All right. Just I'll say that he's not had a good offensive line. We know that you guys have never had a running back up there. Uh, it's always been about him just throwing the ball around the lot and making it happen. And hey, keep us in there, and maybe you can win it in the fourth quarter. So there's been a lot of pressure on him just to physically get it done. This year, it's not been good. There's no way for me to stick up for him. And like we talked about to start the the you know our conversation, this is. You know, I'm not a stat guy. I don't give a damn. Like, I don't go, oh, well, look at his quarterback rating and his completion percentage. All right. I mean, whatever. I mean, if he's throwing screens every play and his completion percentage is great, I'm not going to go, wow, he's amazing. Look at these screen passes he throws. You know, but what I look at is dumb decisions, like we saw the pick six on Thanksgiving or the interception in the end zone. You know, some missed throws through the year where I just go, what the hell? I've never seen Matt Stafford miss that throw in my life. Or even some of the completions he had where I said, man, if he throws that on the money, that guy's going to score, but instead he had to go to the ground or he had to turn around to catch it, whatever it may be. That's where the quality of play is off. I don't think you should be done with him, okay, Mike? I'm just going to say that to you. Um, I do think the culture change is a real thing, and I think he's probably in culture shock right now. And I tried to use this little analogy to say it. You know, imagine you're, you're a street ball basketball player. Hey, when you're open, shoot it. We're just going to play high-flying. You're open from the three-point line. Bam, shoot it every time, every time. And now he's gotten with Matt Patricia, and they're going Hoosier style. We want five passes before you ever even take a shot. You know, so my analogy there is he's being made to play a game that he's never had to play. It's always been, hey, get in the shotgun, throw it all around. We need you to save the day and make amazing plays or we can't win the game. 
and now he's having a guy going, no, we want to run on first and run on second, and then on third down, we'd like you to get the first down, but be careful. We don't want to turn the ball over. He's adding all these situational football thoughts but to hold his brain. On. Hold, I know. hold on. Time out now. Hold on. Go Wait ahead. a minute. Go ahead. There's, two, there's, two, there's two problems here. Yeah. A, we can't cry for him and say he does. he's never had a running back or doesn't have a running game. Then we try to get him one, and we go, well, he can't handle that. Yeah. The no, second not, problem. Yeah, hold okay, on. Go I'm going to give you two things to answer. Yeah. The second problem is, publicly and privately, he advocated for Jim Bob Cooter to return. Now, Jim Bob Cooter is probably going to be fired. So the OC that you demanded and the running game that you needed were delivered and you fell apart. So it's like, Chris, how many more guys got to get fired before I look at this guy and go, you know what, Just let's just start over. I would be careful about that, man. I mean, he's 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 still, in my eyes, one of the more talented quarterbacks in the sport. Now, I know what your your point is there, and it is just, you know, first of all, you know, how many more guys got to get fired? I would, I would, my look on Matthew Stafford is how many times has he saved guys for an extra year to save them there and keep them there? He's saved jobs more times than he's gotten people fired. Now, to your point about the run game and finally getting that, yeah, I get that. You're right. At least they're trying to do that. I'm just telling you it's a culture change from where it's like he, he was on the Golden State Warriors and it was this free-flowing offense, and then all of a sudden this year he's on the 1993 Knicks who want to play a <laughs> 75-72 game. And it's just not as easy as everybody thinks it is. I'm not trying to defend all his play. I know it's not been good. I understand that. You know what else I'm, it is, though? Yeah. And I know it might not be fair, but we sit here watching it, and it's like, bro, you're in your 10th season. You don't beat anyone decent. You don't have a single playoff win. And it's like, I mean, just there's no comparative for him. I've never heard a quarterback talked about glowingly or positively in the history of this league who's gone 10 years and doesn't have a meaningful W. It's well, just I, it's I, I outer know, space. It's a team sport. You know, I, I think we're stuck in this world of it's quarterback versus quarterback. And I want to go, yeah, I mean, Tom Brady's awesome, but he's been littered with Hall of Famers around him his whole career. You know, you know Drew Brees couldn't even get to the playoffs the last nine years. I mean, but he doesn't get thrown in that conversation. So I don't understand. You know, well, he does have a Super Bowl. I mean, that does a, help. I get that. He has a Super Bowl. But my, my big thing is, yes, I understand the frustrations of Matthew Stafford. But I would also say, I mean, you've had no names on your defense other than Dominican Sue throughout his career, and you've had no names on your offense other than Calvin Johnson. And it's a team sport, and when there's not great coaching or great players around you, you know, only number 12 in Green Bay is like the only guy I've seen in my lifetime that can overcome those type of things, and that's not fair to put anybody in his class. All right, let's, uh, let's do this. Normally, I do the power rank. I go five to, to one, my top five NFL teams. Uh, you are our guest this week to do this. So start me out at number five. Who is your number five NFL team? Okay, wait, hold on. I didn't write these down, so i got to make sure I got them right in my brain here. You How dare you? this right here on the, How uh, dare on the you? air. Hold on, I got it. I just want to make sure <laughs> I got them the right way here. Okay, I would go like this. My number five team would still be the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay? Ah. I- I'm going to make Pittsburgh number five on my list. They-, they got their annual stinker out of the way with that loss to Denver. Hopefully. I mean, I look at them in Houston as the team that I would probably have battling it out for number five. That's, okay? a, that's a playoff game I'd love to see. It would be a good one. And, All right. Uh, okay, so then my number four, I go with the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, my. I know. 
It's a little and, – and I understand the talent they have on offense. It's awesome. I do worry about their defense against any quality offense in the sport because they are horrible in the secondary – and I don't think they can make stops on any big situation in a football game because somewhere down the line, as far as guys that got to cover, they're going to have a mismatch because they're so not talented in their back seven, basically. So that's what really concerns me. I think it's interesting because, like, I view the Chiefs, like, the Saints are a better football team, clearly. Yeah, right. But if the Saints get home field in the NFC, I think yeah. they're unbeatable. I think if the Chiefs found a way to stay at Arrowhead, that yeah. home field advantage might get them through. But I, I agree, their defense is morbid. It's morbid. I just, I just got to see more of them. They're a young football team, too, on the offensive side of the ball, so they're not exactly battle-tested that way. So that's where they're my four. All right, number three. Hey, this is going to shock you, but I'm going to make the Rams number three. That doesn't shock me. You're, we're actually in agreement, but th- this okay. is good. Yeah, I mean, I like the Rams. They, you know, they can do everything on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense does scare me a little bit. They, they rely on plays a little bit like what we talked about earlier where they're just looking for those two or three plays a game where Donald can get a strip sack fumble or Marcus Peters can get a pick six. But, you know, I worry about that defense against some of the, you know, top echelon offenses like Drew Brees or Tom Brady who I just go, well, you're not going to get the strip sack fumble or you're going to get the pick six against those guys. And that's where I worry about it, let alone their run defense. Their run defense is an issue. They're so aggressive going up the field that they let up a lot of big holes in running lanes for any good running attack. If they don't get to lead back and playing high-end football, they're dead. Yeah, they are going to be in big trouble. They need those two guys to be able to play man-to-man in some big situations, and then Wade Phillips can fool around with the other nine guys and do creative stuff. All right, number two. Number two, I'm going New England. Ay, ay, ay. All I right, know. we got the dinner bet on it. That's fine. Yep, I know. And and listen, I'm, I, you know, hey, I worked for New England. I love Bill Belichick and everything they stand for, and I'm, with, I'm just as sick of them as anybody. I mean, but I still think – with their offensive line being healthy, it's one of the best in the sport. They got some pretty good cover guys that are under the radar. With Bill's game planning on a week-to-week basis, Brady's ability to execute if they need to be surgical in the drop-back pass game. Uh, yeah, I just look at them and go, I mean, hey, they started out 1-2. and two. I know they had the bad loss to the Tennessee Titans against a familiar coaching staff who, you know, hey, they outplayed them. They had a few wrinkles up their sleeves that got the best of Patriots, but I still look at the Patriots against any of those teams we just mentioned. I said, if you gave me a head-to-head matchup against any of them, I'm taking the New England Patriots. And number one, New Orleans. Exactly right. New Orleans, I look at and just go, they can play any style of football. They need to play smash mouth up in Baltimore? Okay, we'll run it 30-something times and play smash mouth. We need to get in a shootout with the Rams? No problem. We can do that, too. Their run defense is the best run defense in football, and I think they've found the formula to protect their secondary here the last four or five weeks to where – you know, they're not great, but they're not getting exposed like they were early in the year. Now, Chris, I appreciate it. So, number five, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Rams, New England, New Orleans. Uh, Chris, we'll hit you up after the holidays. Were your five like mine? Uh, I have, honestly, I have New England at five. Okay. I mean, my, I just, you know what, the, you know what my problem is? I see yeah. the cracks. I see an opportunity to get them. Right. And I'm probably getting a little ahead of myself. Like, I don't care. I love greatness. I love watching Brady. But I, I feel like they're a wounded deer. And yep. someone's just got to put them down. 
I know. I'm I just kind of at that point where it's like, all right, you know what? You're not as good as you should be or used to be. Let's just put you down and 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 g- give me the kids. Give me KC. Yeah. G- give me the excitement. I hear you. I know. I, I'm I, I'm as intrigued as anybody to see who can do that in the AFC because you know, of course, they've had Houston's number. We know they've had Pittsburgh's number. And Kansas City gave them a tough time, but, you know, it was in New England, and New England came out on top. I know. I'm with you, man. I hear you. I'm, I'm sick of talking about them, too. It's, it's, it's annoying, but they are great. Chris, just pr- promote what you got going on and where people can find you. Sims and Lefko podcast on Bleacher Report. We got the Sims and Lefko show that comes out every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. And then you can see me on NBC Pro Football Talk with Mike Florio on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday mornings from 7 to 9 uh, you'll see me on some Sunday night football pregame shows and stuff like that. So uh, that's the gist of it. Notre Dame's over, so no more Notre Dame. Uh, oh, wow, you get to breathe. Chris, I, I appreciate it. We're going to talk to you again later down the road, okay? You're the man, Mike. You're the best. To you. Chris Sims, thank you. Winter's here, and that means energy bills are rising. You can reduce your power bill with help from Power Home Solar, the number one residential solar provider in Michigan and one of the top solar installation companies in the entire USA. Power Homes installs American-made panels with a 30-year warranty. It allows you to own your power, not just continually rent it from a power company. As an official partner of the Detroit Lions, the company installed solar panels at Ford Field, and the Allen Park facility earlier this year and seeks to continue building a movement towards cleaner, greener energy by seeing if solar is right for your home. Go to powerhome.com. That's powerhome.com. Or you can give them a call, 1-800-SOLAR-15. That's 1-800-SOLAR-15 to schedule your free solar consultation today. Don't rent your power. Own it with help from Powerhome. I wanted to, to bring this up because the Markel Fultz situation, the way that the media is covering it and then the way I look at it are really different. Now, Sully, look, we'll, we'll get into the basketball stuff, but I guess for me, and I want to know if I'm nuts, I look at the Markel Fultz thing and, and for people who are worried, oh my God, it's basketball, relax. This is about people. This is about the human condition. It, and yes, sports. But with Fultz, I look at this and I feel just a great amount of empathy for him because I'm trying to look at all angles. And yes, he's an athlete. All right. He's not digging ditches. Yes, he was the number one pick in the draft and he got a nice contract. And yes, he plays basketball. I, I, I get it. But when you do the reading about Markel Fultz, and you look at what this kid could possibly be dealing with. It's almost like what we, we just did with Roberto, where you're like, you know, <laughs> you're about to have the worst day of your life. But this is this guy every day is the worst day of this dude's life. And it's happening in the most unforgiving sports city in America. It's happening where everyone is covering you, where there's these grainy videos of you shooting free throws. There are whispers and rumors and accusations, and you're also staring down the barrel of being the greatest bust in the history of the draft, like Joe Barry Carroll or Michael Olua Candy. And that's or, saying a lot. Or Kwame Brown. And it's, I've got this timeline of Fultz. And I think for people who, who haven't paid attention to it, if you bear with us for a moment, I want to just run down this stuff and then think about 
Think about every day we all walk around, right? We walk around. How many of us are dealing with one, two, or all three of the following, right? Where we are, the human condition is we are imperfect creatures. So how many of us walk around and, and we are dealing with something from an emotional standpoint, a mental standpoint, or a physical standpoint, right? People are walking around dealing with stuff you have no idea about. And in Mark L. Fultz's case, it is my belief and the belief of many others, he's dealing with all three. That there is something mental, mm -hmm. there is something emotional, and there's something physical. And imagine going through that, not in the privacy of your own life, where you only share it with your, your confidant, whether it be your, your, your father, mother, family, wife, whatever. Imagine that your struggle with all three of those was blasted publicly every day. And then you have to go perform, not in a cubicle, but you got to go perform every day. That, I, I see, that's where I get beyond the money here. And I get beyond, oh, he's a basketball player. I look at it as I feel awful for this kid. I feel like some people around him have had a very negative impact on him. You read a lot about how he's under immense family pressure. You read about how he's had, whether it be Drew Hanlon, the trainer, or I believe it's Keith Williams. You know, what, what is their role in this? How is the, Now, look, the Sixers tried to make this right. But I want to go down this timeline before we speed up to where we are. Bear with me. And then just think about all of this, and it's how we end up where we are now. It all started last summer, July 9th, 2017. He sprains his ankle in summer league opener. Right? You're bummed out. Number one pick, sprains his ankle. We don't see him again. We don't see him again. September 28th is the next report you get. Britt Brown, the uh, head coach of the Sixers, says Fultz still hasn't played since spraining his ankle, made tweaks to his shot. Quote, Markell's made some personal adjustments to his shot since we last saw him in Vegas. We've done stuff with him, but really he's been with his personal trainer over a month of August and since Summer League. Ended. He chose to look at some different things on his shot. Heart's in the right place, trying to improve. Slowly, we're coming back into it and trying to recalibrate to get it back. So, again, the source of why did he change it, who did it, whose move was it, it's clear it wasn't the Sixers' move. Didn't like it, didn't want it. They tried to be understanding. Fast forward, you're in October. Fultz's shooting form becomes the story. I mean, just over a year ago, when you finally got to see him shooting, you went, what is this? Right? October 24th, according to a report, Fultz literally can't raise his arms to shoot after having fluid drained from his shoulder. So now the physical comes in. You go, all right, he screwed up his shoulder. And again, reports were cortisone, uh, draining fluid. And, and listen, I'm, I'm in no way comparing. Please, I don't want people to take it this way. But if you've battled a shoulder injury of any kind, you know how difficult it is. I mean, dude, I'm a nobody, right? I've been battling a shoulder problem for over a year. Done physical therapy. I've had cortisone. I, to this day, it's affected my ability to do basic stuff. I've had to take several time periods off from, from working out. And even amidst, you know, trying to change my life and lose all the weight that I've lost. Dude, I had to watch how I picked up my niece the other day. So I, I just, I look at this and I go, I know what at least on any level that's like. It's just, it's your shoulder. It's unbelievable. So go, go to October 29th. He's out indefinitely after seeing another shoulder expert. Okay. December 8th of 17. 
indicates Fultz closer to returning. Haven't seen him shoot a right-handed jumper since October. Had to follow about him on Instagram as he traveled back and forth from Philly to Lexington. But from the sounds of things, Fultz on the verge of breaking back into the lineup sometime soon. January 2nd, practices limited role. January 7th of 18, returns to full court five-on-five basketball. All right, this is good, except no timetable. A month goes by, February 9th of 18. Then Sixers GM Brian Colangelo says Fultz's range is currently within the paint. Can't shoot outside the paint. It's like a 10-year-old child. February 12th, Philly Voice exclusive. What's going on with Fultz? Philly Voice's Kyle Newbeck publishes the in-depth look at what's really been going on in nine months since they drafted him. You got to go and read it, okay? I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's massive, but it's a great piece. Let me read you just a, a little piece. Over the course of the last six months, Philly Voice spoke with people in and around and connected to the Sixers about what's been going on with this kid who was supposed to be the final piece to the puzzle. What's striking is the degree to which opinions on Fultz's shot diverge depending on who you ask. Doctors explain how unprecedented this is for a basketball player. Staffers point fingers at outside influences. His own GM says publicly his range doesn't extend beyond the paint. All the while. Fultz remains silent, retweeting videos of what his shot used to look like as an avalanche of criticism floods his social media. Fultz is surrounded by sound and fury, and once you begin to understand it, the disappearance of his jumper makes a lot more sense. February 23, 23rd. Why did I say 23? (laughs) (laughs) Fultz named in sweeping NCAA corruption case, wholly secondary to what I care about. So we're moving on. March 26th, returns to the lineup against the Nuggets. It was his decision, the Sixers say. I get goosebumps telling you about it, but I'm so proud of him, says Brett Brown. Uh, People around him have done great things. I give that kid credit. He'll be with us tonight. Solid game. Okay, you think, hey, there's some hope. April 11th, right? Just two weeks later, he posts a triple-double over the Bucs. You go, all right. I mean, this is, like, awesome. They're getting him back. He's going to play in the playoffs. Uh Uh-oh. April through May of 18, Fultz sits on the bench for nearly the entirety of the Sixers' playoff run. May 6th, Jason Tatum ruins the Sixers in the playoffs, player they could have taken. June 22nd of 18, this summer now, Drew Hanlon hypes Fultz's new jumper, discusses the prior case of the yips. We've seen it in sports, whether it be Chuck Knobloch, Steve Sachs, Rick Ankeel, the yips, the mental breakthrough where you just can't do what you did anymore. Fultz would go on to deny ever having the yips during Sixers Media Day a few months later. So Drew Hanlon's his shot coach. June 30th, sources tell Philly Voice Fultz will not participate in Summer League. Uh, now, now you know there's trouble. It's year two, right? July 10th, new footage of Fultz shooting sort of emerges on YouTube. September 20th, video of Fultz's new shot uploaded. We all, everyone saw it. And if you haven't, go look at it. It's uncomfortable. Brown, uh, this is September 28th. Brett Brown thrust Fultz into the starting role to kick off preseason. And you know what they were trying to do. Trying to get him out there. Trying to make him feel good. He'll start and place a Redick. Asked by Philly Voice about how things would look. Brown launched into an extensive answer on the reasoning for doing so and the -the behind-the-scenes machinations that put it into motion. October 1st. Fultz's three-point shot emerges in Sixers' win over Magic. Now you feel decent about it. October 19th, get some home love in the home opener. November 4th, ugly three-point attempt 
prompts trainer Drew Hanlon to tweet about his health. Okay, now, now, now the trainer's coming out. He goes out, does a whole social media thing, gets in fights with people. I'm not going through it. November 5th, sources tell Philly Voice no underlying health concern with Fultz, despite his trainer's claims. November 12th, the free throw from hell hits. Free throw form hits new low against Miami Heat. The double clutch, I don't know what it is. I've never seen it in my life. A few short days later, you saw a free throw attempt where he was juggling the ball between his hands. November 13th, Elton Brand addresses Fultz and the free throw. Elton Brand, the GM of the Sixers. I saw it for sure. I've been seeing him work this summer and all offseason. He has times where something like it happens. But following that, he shot it very well and looked fluid. He's going to have ups and downs. November 14th, Fultz demoted to the bench when Jimmy Butler arrives. November 15th, Fultz agent calls report of alleged motorcycle accident 100% not true. That was always the whisper. And Fultz is, uh, I believe it was BMX bikes and dirt bikes and stuff. He was big into it. There was always a whisper. That's how he got hurt. Well, the agent denies it. November 19th, TJ McConnell replaces Fultz as the Sixers' backup point guard. And November 20th, Straight up, Fultz agent blindsides Sixers by telling him he won't practice until he sees another shoulder specialist. So here's where we are today. Now look, I'm not going to sort out every single one of those. But the reason I did it is the average fan sees an occasional report, rolls their eyes, and go, this kid sucks. I did that because that is probably only half of what's really gone on. You got family pressure. You got your trainer or trainers. You got the Sixers. You got rumors about getting hurt on a BMX. Look, this is where it's at right now. I think the two pieces, Sully, I would pull apart. Each time he was demoted, his agent came out and did something. Now, you want to say he's protecting his player? That's fine. The problem I have is I don't know what the hell the Sixers do with Markel Fultz. Because the easiest thing to say is, well, can't they just trade him for a first-round pick? And the answer is no. First-round picks are very scarce. They would not get a first-round pick for him right now. They just wouldn't. No, and any team that really needs him, their pick's going to be too high. A championship team can use that first-round pick to unload bad contracts later. He's a full reclamation project. I don't know whether it's just physical or not, whether it's mental or not, or whether there's an emotional issue or not. But this is playing out publicly, and I can't, I can't make fun of them, as so many are doing, because I, I, I look at this and I go, this kid is fighting for his life. This is what he worked his entire life for. And now he's in danger of losing it all. Through, again, if, you wanna, if the rumor was true and he got hurt on a bike, fine, you could say it's his fault. The old Jay Williams principle, why did you ride a motorcycle without a helmet? My point is, he didn't go out and, and, and do a bunch of drugs, right? He's not Lenny Bias. He didn't go out and get involved with the wrong crowd, right? He didn't do anything wrong on that level. This kid is very close to losing it all. And understand this, and I know you've got some reports at the time of this taping, it's coming out that some teams are interested. Here's what I want to say to you. Philly, as an organization, has done almost everything right, in my opinion. And what I mean by that is, Brett Brown is a super understanding coach. He's not Greg Popovich. He's not like Phil Jackson. He doesn't play reindeer games. He actually cares about players. That's one. Two, 
the players on that team love Markel Fultz. In a weird way, them all being young and Simmons struggling, missing his rookie year, Embiid struggling, missing two years, guys like Robert Covington and TJ McConnell who have come from nothing. I just, they all have rallied around him. They have all been incredibly supportive. But now, this little routine, the agent coming out, blindsiding the organization again, I don't know if that's a good deal. And remember, their acquisition of Jimmy Butler changed everything. A, compassion and empathy and understanding are three words that I don't think Jimmy Butler has in his uh, arsenal. Jimmy Butler's a red ass. I mean, Jimmy Butler made Carl Anthony Towns cry. So the whole tenor of that place is going to change. Second of all, it's time to win. They can't do anything for appearances anymore. Playing Markel to make it look right or caring about his feelings. No, it's winning time. They made the move. It's winning time. They're a better team with TJ McConnell than Markel Fultz. Facts. I'm not going to bore you with all the analytics. It's facts. They can't do anything anymore for Markel Fultz. Now, he talks about, well, the rumor is he wants a change of scenery. So you've got a couple reports at the time of our taping here today. Um, I'm willing to listen. But then I want to explain to you why I don't think a change of scenery is really going to fix him. But go ahead. Well, the two teams that I saw referenced to Markel Fultz, Cavaliers reportedly interested, and also people were saying the Rockets might be a fit for him. Now, a lot of people are probably wondering, is he, with all the stuff going on, is he even productive with the Sixers? I mean, he's averaging eight points, three rebounds, three assists. It's yeah, not but, like he's super productive. But it's not like he's effective, playing much. his effective shooting percentage is 43%, which is dreadful. Mm-hmm. Uh, his three-pointer percentage is 28%, it's, I believe. His free throws are 53%. Mike, he's unplayable. Well, he is. He tries on defense. I will give him that. Just to, to be honest with you, Mike, and, and I'll just say this, full transparency, I've always looked at this story, and I'll admit it, I've laughed. I've looked at this story the past over a year now and looked at it and said, oh my God, you're the number one overall pick. You're this heralded out of Washington and you forget how to shoot. Come on, man. How does that happen? This is a joke. This Come on. But this, with how everything's turned, I'm to a point where I can't laugh at it anymore. I think we are approaching, as you, as you laid out, something serious on multiple levels where you can't just look at this and shrug your shoulders and say, oh, the, the guy forgot how to shoot. Come on. I mean, that, that, that can't happen. No, I think what There's happens— There's more to it than that. And, I, and again, I always think it's a blended uh, portfolio here. I think there has to be something wrong in his shoulder. I think he got some bad advice on changing his shot. I think when he tried to go find his shot again, it was a harder transition. And above all—and this is the biggest thing—the pressure— Got to him. I don't know what role he would play. Remember, if he were any good, if he were any good, Philly'd have him in the rotation. They would. Markel Fultz is essentially the reason they went and got Jimmy Butler. I think they knew Fultz wasn't going to turn it around to a level that was going to be remotely acceptable. They knew they weren't going to go out in the free agent market and be able to get Clay Thompson or get AD or get KD. And you know what? This is the best player we can get. We're going to go and do it. But I don't know where you trade him. I don't know what you do with him, and I guess we just sit and wait and just... I do. I secretly hope he turns it around. I, I know that's cheesy and like, oh, Mike's soft. No, in this one, I just feel like this kid's got a lot going on around him. He's dealing with everything publicly. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's never been viewed as a bad kid. And right now, his career is on the verge of being over before it begins, which is a very scary thought. All right, that's episode three. Now, do me a favor. 
Rate us, review us, subscribe, pass it on. You can go to radio.com, you can go to iTunes or wherever your podcasts are located. Pass it on, support us. Thanks. We'll talk to you next week.